Welcome to uh, the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today I have with me Dr. Michael Nokomovitz, Senior Vice President, Chief Clinical Integration and Network Development Officer, New York Presbyterian, to discuss how in the digital age the process of maintaining your health or delivering the healthcare is transforming. <clears throat> Uh, Dr. Michael Nokomovitz is an expert on the development, management, and integration, and also leveraging of large physician networks and complex integrated delivery systems. Now, these include major academic medical centers as well as regional and rural hospitals. He has been an early adapter of new technologies and an advocate for change with a focus on matching technology to the context of the different segments of healthcare delivery. Most recently created the New York Presbyterian Medical Group, also known as NYPMG as an acronym, uh, now numbering over a thousand providers, co-branded with Will Cornell Medicine and Columbia University doctors to service the new regional network of New York Presbyterian the largest academic medical center in the United States and the leading healthcare system in New York. He also established a New York Presbyterian Physician Service Organization and provides comprehensive practice management services to physicians and other clinicians throughout the regional network. He has extensive experience in the implementation of technology platforms for healthcare delivery in all segments of the care continuum. He led a telehealth implementation across the New York uh, Presbyterian Physician Enterprise, focusing on the description of new clinical situations which could best benefit patients. He has been one of those at the forefront of the development of the telehealth discipline and most recently published a significant paper in the Journal of American Association drawing attention to the rapidly changing field and the needs of the future. Michael has served on the board of directors of Qual Choice Inc., Western Reserve Assurance, Cayman, the American College of Chess Physicians, Medical Group Management Association, Global Cleveland, and the Business Advisory Board of Biomotive, a therapeutic drug accelerator associated with the Harrington Project for Discovery and Development. He serves on the Clinical Advisory Board of Carus as well as for Johnson & Johnson through the Health Management Academy. He has served as an advisor for numerous companies related to healthcare technologies, both nationally and internationally. Very, very impressive resume and one of the most uh, impressive and intelligent guy on the subject we're going to cover today. Dr. Nakomovitz also testified in the U.S. Senate's Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee hearing on healthcare reform and participated in the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Technical Committee on Physician Payment Methodologies. He is a regular participant in national forums on topics of healthcare delivery. He has twice been recognized by Modern Healthcare as one of the most influential physician executives in the United States. 
He earned his medical degree at the University of Cape Town in South Africa and uh, uh, preliminary critical care training at the University Hospital Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Mahesh. It is a real pleasure to join you on the show on a topic which is of such enormous significance to the health and well-being of people all over the world uh, in both uh, the more affluent countries and in the developing world. I totally agree with you, uh, Michael. This is a very important subject. Healthcare is on top of the agenda uh, for all the governments as well as this is an essential need of all the human beings. And uh, um, I have read uh, your publications with a lot of interest and also I noticed that if we look at the global healthcare sector, there was a study which came out this year in year 2017 that the global spend is projected to reach a whopping $8.7 trillion by 2020, which is a huge number. And also, uh, if you look at the other side of it, although the, there is such a large spend, as per World Health Organization, WHO, there are an estimated 43 million global health workers uh, this number is from 2015, which included 9.8 million physicians and 20.7 million nurses and midwives. Now, based on a threshold uh, in the sector of 4.45 skilled health professionals per thousand population, it has been estimated that the needs-based shortage of healthcare workers globally would be about 17.4 million, big number, of which almost uh, 2.5 million are doctors and over 9 million are nurses and midwives. And it seems the largest need space shortage are in Southeast Asian and African regions. If the current trend has to continue, the global need space shortage of healthcare workers uh, is projected to be still over 14 million uh, 13 years from now. That's the year 2030. And also, as per the statistics uh, from WHO, 44% uh, of member states reported that they have less than one physician per thousand population. That's again a big number. Now, what it means is something dramatic needs to happen to address this issue. And it seems the technology uh, is coming to rescue here. Uh, and I get the confidence reading your article because I saw that there is a unique market opening up which is driven by technology. It's making healthcare availability instant and access to the best of resources from anywhere in the world. And that is telehealth. And there are some estimates that the global telehealth market is projected to grow at an annual compounded rate of 30% uh, for next five years from now onwards, and which will achieve an estimated value of more than $12 billion. And also, some of the recent market sh surveys have shown that 
70% of the consumers would consider a virtual healthcare service. So here's my take on it. Uh, when I read your article and, and the other information available, there is a huge gap in the number of medical professionals or the health professionals required to serve the masses across the globe. That, that's a big number. Now, to grow so many health professionals, uh, I'm not sure I will appreciate your feedback on that, but telehealth definitely can provide an immediate recourse to maximizing the reach of healthcare. So I would start uh, with uh, Michael, if you can share with our listeners, what is telehealth and how does it work? Uh, th thank you, Mahesh. You know, I'll just make a brief comment on what you said. I couldn't agree with you more uh, about the tremendous amount of money being spent on healthcare, uh, over three trillion of which is in the United States. And despite that spending, even in the United States, the wait time for physicians in major metropolitan areas over the last three years has gone up by 30%. And one can imagine how that's extrapolated in other places with lower concentrations of healthcare workers and technologies. The, the question of telehealth is really fascinating. Uh, and I will say one thing that we will touch on, I'm sure, throughout the discussion, that technology alone never solves problems. And that's a, an intense interest of mine that we'll get to tease out somewhat more. But telehealth is a broad term, which means delivering healthcare services remotely by using various telecommunication modalities. Mm -hmm. So one does not need a provider in the room to provide these services. Now, it's often used interchangeably with telemedicine and virtual health. These terms are used interchangeably. And I sort of believe in that virtual health is likely to be the term used in the future. Now, you asked how it works. Now, in, in its simplest form, instead of having to have a physician or other clinician or healthcare worker physically present with a patient uh, or a consumer in a room to deliver a service, these services are delivered with audio and video communication on a computer, mobile phone or tablet. Now, these encounters can take many forms. Uh, you know, in the industry, we speak of use cases, meaning different clinical situations, you know, where telehealth can be used. And the real interesting thing about this is that these telecommunication devices generally work on the basis of wireless. And wireless plays such a huge role in this, the expansion um, of this industry. And, you know, as I think we, we may have discussed before, commercial wireless signals reach 85% of the world's population. And 
the wireless communication network actually extends further than the electrical grid. That's a wonderful point. So even if people don't have electricity, they can still have access or they can be provided access through telemedicine or telehealth. That, that's a brilliant point. And, and telehealth can be used for many different situations. First of all, it can be used for basic mes medical conditions instead of a doctor's visit. The routine coughs and colds, rashes, stomach upsets, these can all be handled uh, remotely instead of an individual having to go to a doctor's office. Now, there are additional issues of training and infrastructure that we can talk about, but some of it is not complicated at all. So besides basic medical encounters, uh, patient education can clearly be delivered through telemedicine. Patient counseling, behavioral health lend themselves spectacularly to this modality. What we're seeing now, uh, I would say, particularly in the United States, but in other countries, because these technologies have been around for a few years, we're seeing a greater degree of sophistication in what you can do. It turns out that you can do much more. And in addition to the topics that I mentioned, the management of chronic disease, chronic heart disease, heart congestive heart failure, chronic lung disease, these can all be managed uh, without the individual being required to travel to see the doctor. Uh, now, some encounters could be done face-to-face, uh, -face, either with a nurse in the home or coming to the doctor's office, but whether you're trying to get through the traffic in New York or you're trying to trek across the mountains in remote areas of Africa or Southeast Asia, uh, the principle, <laughs> to some extent, is the same. Yeah. Um, and let's say, for example, uh, there are some things that you really need to go to hospital for, surgery, and then you go home. Much post-operative care can be conducted remotely without the patient having to revisit the doctor or the hospital. Uh, following up on diagnostic tests uh, and also, you know, something that we've experienced, family inclusion in a discussion about health can occur remotely without those family members physically being present with their loved one or in the same location. And very often there's a need to discuss things collectively and this technology facilitates that relatively easy, easily. Uh, that, that's, that's a great point. Michael, uh, we'll now take a quick short break and we will continue uh, our discussion after the break. This is fascinating.
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, we are having a very fascinating discussion about a very important aspect of life, the healthcare. And I have with me uh, Dr. Michael today. He is a Senior Vice President, Chief Clinical Integration and Network Development Officer at New York Presbyterian. And we are in discussion how the digital age is transforming the way one can maintain health. Uh, Michael, very fascinating discussion. Uh, I was intrigued by uh, what you discussed in the first segment. Uh, basis, our discussion first segment, I see the main aspects, um, which I want to share with listeners and you, that let's say we look at healthcare. It's an essential need for a human being. But as the business people look at it, the healthcare industry looks at this as a business opportunity. And if I look at it, what we notice from the World Health Organization numbers and all that, there is a huge deficit in the service providers to reach out to the masses. Uh, issue could be anything, it could be reach, it could be availability, but that shows that there is a huge opportunity for this business to grow, this sector to grow in terms of revenue. Second is the healthcare has an impact and on the productivity of a society, of a country, and the whole globe, and it impacts economic growth. In the more uh, healthy people are, the higher is the productivity. And as you mentioned in last segment, that even uh, consider a city in New York using telehealth, you can save somebody's time to travel to the doctor's office. That's an increase in productivity. That can be used, the driving time for productive work. Similarly, in the remote locations in the mountains of Asia or Africa, the travel time to reach a doctor using the telehealth. Um, and the last one which I see is most of the organizations are looking for corporate social responsibility. The same applies to the healthcare industry also. And that's where they can play a big role, especially in the opportunity for developed world, which is very advanced and, and, and they have the support mechanism and to reach out and bring the rest of the world up, especially underdeveloped and developed by dedicating some amount of time or some other kind of arrangement to provide them healthcare guidance, if nothing else, remotely. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'd like to gather more thoughts from you, Michael, on, on these issues. And also, uh, if you can share some of your experience in, in imparting uh, the healthcare advice or services using telehealth. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. Um, I agree with you, as we've discussed, about a unique opportunity for world health, irrespective of which sector is being discussed. Uh, clearly millions of people's needs could be met 
without the need for uh, for these individuals being in a doctor's office. Uh, you know, so from a, the, the different issues here, the one is uh, a governmental responsibility and a social responsibility. So governments have to provide care to their citizens. And in shortage areas or even areas that are not so short, uh, not as short of resources, there is an opportunity here to leverage this uh, to take better advantage of existing healthcare assets um, and avoiding unnecessary encounters. Um, from uh, a business development standpoint, I think one has to be more careful in identifying exactly, you know, where the business opportunity is. And, you know, we can talk about that um I think that's a little bit more complicated, but it requires very careful focus on the particular business and the the economics of it. I think that there is going to be a need on a global level, uh, perhaps to have unique financing methodologies for um, those parts of the world that do not have the kinds of resources that are available, for example, in the United States or Canada or, or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And perhaps some, new, some innovative financing mechanisms might come out of this conversation. But to give you some practical examples of how uh, telemedicine and telehealth or virtual health have been put into, into play, um, recently in the United States, we've had a number of natural disasters uh, in Florida, in Texas, and also in Puerto Rico. And uh, in those situations, telehealth was used to augment the activity on the ground of healthcare workers trying to provide services when electricity was down and uh, travel was difficult, uh, etc. Uh, very specifically in the case of Puerto Rico, uh, Neil Presbyterian, uh, you know, Wild Cornell Medicine in, in this, in the specific part of it, uh, was not only able to send teams to Puerto Rico, but those teams were backed up by telehealth in New York and allowed them to be substantially more effective uh, because of the connection to Wild Cornell specialists um, for complex pediatric cases, unusual dermatological presentations, uh, unusual, uh, 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 numerous uh, clinical cases that required more than the first-line emergency uh, aid workers that we put on the ground. Now, there are, uh, you know, two other studies that come to mind uh, the, um, the, they were actually the one was actually brought to uh, the public's attention by an article in the New England Journal by Dr. Roos, um, the from Johns Hopkins, and it talks about uh, a an app for the phone that was developed and studied in Malawi to allow community health workers to report back on adherence to tuberculosis treatment. And for these community health workers also to receive guidance 
uh, for what they were doing in the field. And with this app, basically on a, on a mobile phone, they were able to double the number of patients they were able to see. They saved, I believe, 2,000 hours of time and they avoided all sorts of travel and costs that they would have had to incur. Now, if you can multiply this experience across the world with multiple conditions uh, besides tuberculosis or even just tuberculosis, the, uh, the savings and the care that can be delivered in these countries, uh, you know, would be enormous. Um, another uh, s study that was published this year was about a condition that causes blindness, very prevalent in Africa. It's called river blind blindness or uh, onchocerciasis. Uh, and the study was done in the Cameroon. And there they had a video microscope with a cell phone attached, uh, which delivered test results from a pinprick of a finger. Is that right? And so, yeah. And they did a pinprick of the finger, they looked at this blood, and in three minutes, uh -huh. through this video microscope, they were able to get results um, in um, thousands and thousands of volunteers who needed treatment and who otherwise wouldn't have been diagnosed or treated. And this goes on and on because of the, I believe there are about 1,200 healthcare apps that are now available for mobile phones. And, you know, they range from apps that can record your electrocardiogram, that can um, measure blood sugar, um, that, you know, uh, uh, you know, and so on and so forth, and blood pressure, and also, uh, you know, with the uh, new Apple Watch, for example, you know, you can measure heart rate, and there's studies going on at Stanford to uh, identify uh, a very serious abnormal heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation, that they are actually using the Apple Watch to identify those cases, and that's a very important cause of stroke. So the impact of telehealth and telemedicine is being significantly enhanced by the ability to remotely monitor with these kinds of examples that I gave you. That is amazing. So it looks like uh, uh, the healthcare industry is really taking advantage of the digital age. That's called some synchronization, leverage uh, the advantages of digital age, which is wireless, uh, which is the devices and remote devices, and uh, provide healthcare to people. That's that's what I see. And um, the other huge advantage which I see here is uh, the reach using the technologies of digital age. This is one of the biggest advantage which people talk about in business is uh, boundaryless world, that now the business is through internet, e-commerce and all that. Now here, with examples you gave, uh, there is no border. And so it's not that you can use the remote findings picking up from different places, only in US if you're sitting in US. You can pick up from anywhere in the world where somebody has probably, I'll oversimplify, an Apple Watch, 
and you have a cell phone connection. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, you know you where you're going, where you've been going with this is that the actual uh, encounter, remote encounter, does not require a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is required is the delivery of this to some location where you have the experts that can feel the data and interpret it, analyze it, and then respond with the appropriate uh, directives for intervention and treatment. And given the, the, the fact that there are uh, disparities in resources and infrastructure, you know, one wonders whether those countries or facilities that do have the capabilities and might have capacity could indeed provide these services uh, across borders and that a financing methodology could be developed uh, in the private sector in some private-public partnership which would facilitate uh, governments or local regions to be able to purchase that service because at the end of the day it always costs something right and I would say that the most complex part of this is fielding the information looking at the data reviewing it and coming up with an action plan and the action plan often does not require the complex facilities it might require somebody to give an injection to do a simple test, to give a course of treatment, to monitor diet, to, to, to provide care at home. And we're going to get better and better at monitoring in real time uh, with wearable devices uh, the, the, the condition of the human body. And I would add to that that Part of this is that it's about people, process, and technology. It's not just about technology. True. And we sh- we shouldn't forget that there are now there's now a very clear understanding that social determinants play a significant part in healthcare outcomes and healthcare cost. And I would predict that the use of social determinants together with clinical data as well as financial data is going to allow both the clinical and the business community to deliver services in a much more targeted fashion with a better outcome at a lower cost. But this will take uh, significant work and it's locale specific. It's locale specific based on the environment, based on the demography, based on the economics. It's different in uh, Cleveland than it is in New York. It's different in Asia than it is in Canada. Um, and that's where I think we, this is going. Perfect. Uh, Michael, we'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break.
to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having a very interesting discussion with Dr. Michael, uh, uh, Senior Vice President, Chief Clinical Integration and Network Development Officer, New York Presbyterian. And uh, the interesting part of discussion is how the model of service delivery, or you can call in business terms, a business model uh, transforming in digital age uh, for maintaining your health, and for healthcare providers, the way to provide the healthcare. Uh, uh, Michael, it was very interesting uh, what you brought out in the last segment. To me, it looks like the healthcare industry, especially the service providers, uh, are, are leveraging the advantages of uh, digital age to, to maximize the reach in terms of servicing the society. The other part of it is how do you take care of cost, who pays for what, but at least one very good part which comes out of the whole discussion is is that there is a lot of opportunity for people to receive health care. It could be an advice, it could be a full health care, in whatever shape or form it's coming and the business model is transforming with the times and using the latest technology. Now. Um, can you share with our listeners how do you see telehealth progressing in future? That's part one. And part two could be will it be able to replace the conventional visit to clinics? May not be fully, maybe partly. And I see this as playing an important role in providing healthcare to the masses where the reach is tough. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. Um, we believe that uh, telehealth is going to continue to expand, become more broadly available, and become more complex. And uh, it will be used uh, in developed countries, in rural and semi-rural areas, and in physician and hospital shortage areas. But frankly, um, there will be no place that virtual healthcare won't exist. And that's in part because of the way lifestyle commodities have been distributed and we've discussed the spread of wireless and the, and the number of people who have, who have mobile phones. And, um, you know, just in the last uh, week or 10 days, uh, New York Presbyterian opened kiosks for virtual visits 
in dr- in a drug in drugstores in in New York. So patients, when they're going to the drugstore or going to get something there, they can go to a kiosk and speak, have a virtual visit with a physician without having to to go and see the physician um, at their you know in, in their offices. Um, I I think that uh, it's fair to say that we don't anticipate. Um, replacing the doctor, the doctor's visit entirely. You know, we see a combination of what we call bricks and clicks. So there are a lot of things that you'll be able to get remotely, an increasing number, and there are some things that you'll have to go to the hospital or a doctor for if you need surgery, if you need a special test. But many of the simple visits will be replaced, and that'll change the, the economic balance um, for physicians and hospitals. And as this gets augmented with remote monitoring and the ability to do diagnostic tests through apps on the phone or through through the, the watch uh, uh, watches or wearables or even in, in, uh, devices that will be embedded in your body or even devices that you swallow like tablets with sensors and these devices can send information back to, to uh, physicians and computers. And combined with artificial intelligence, one can see how the, 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 the normal sequence of healthcare that we become used to is going to be altered. But you will still need physicians and other clinicians, in fact, much more in terms of teams of healthcare providers to assemble all this information and interpret it and use their judgment because machines won't be doing this alone and one rem- one doctor or one clinician having a remote visit alone won't suffice because you're going to have to have an intervention. Um, it, the 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 this idea of having a team of resources to manage this information um, is getting traction, and we're seeing the beginnings of command centers being put together, um, virtual care centers that would be specifically there to be a virtual hospital, to collect information to absorb it and then respond with the appropriate advice or intervention. You know, probably the earliest group to get into that was uh, Mercy Health in Chesterfield, Missouri. 19 out of its 33 hospitals have less than 50 beds and are in rural areas of Mississippi, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas. And they were very proactive in building this virtual care center for the future and are probably leading the way while many other organizations are doing similar things incrementally uh, for monitoring, uh, whether it be monitoring hospital beds remotely, monitoring intensive care units remotely, uh, providing uh, telestroke, um, you know, combined with stroke mobiles. So the field is getting more and more complex and more technology will come into this. So, for example, 
Some information will be provided by clinicians. Others might include avatars or digital assistants or chatbots. So it could be that, um, you know, uh, community health workers in remote areas could speak to digital assistants that are connected to computers and could get a lot of information from the digital assistants, um, you know, in addition to them communicating directly with a, a, a specialist in a particular uh, organization. Now, in terms of business opportunity, you know, that's interesting. Um, I think most people feel that um, businesses that are set up specifically uh, to provide services to consumers, um, if they're not attached to provider organizations, they, the, the growth of these businesses, in some people's opinion, may be limited. We think that provider organizations need to be included uh, in these businesses in some way because they provide the depth of expertise and complexity that's needed to provide the, the full continuum of care. I think this is, this is very fascinating to me. Uh, number one, the non-intrusive diagnosis facility like you said you can you can yeah. uh, take a pill and it is sending the signals back so it's instead of cutting over and finding out or doing something else it may become pretty easy in second uh, very important point you mentioned that individual visit of a doctor he may not be expert in everything he could be a general physician but here through a command center you getting help of experts interpreting the data and they can be experts in multiple fields now in that case Michael uh, would you it, it probably it's not necessary to have all the experts in the same command center they could be at different locations connected electronically oh exactly yeah. the command center is purely a place to take information in one of the risks of the digital age yeah is having uh, lots of lots of data without enough information. Uh, you know, data rich but information poor. And in healthcare we suffer from that right now uh, with the uh, advent and distribution of electronic health records. We have a lot of data uh, which is difficult for physicians to, to manage and interpret. And adding uh, remote monitoring and devices that are embedded or you know or worn or swallowed could really explode this data to the point where uh, it, you know it doesn't go anywhere and nobody can do anything with it so there needs to be very careful thought given as to where this information is going to go who's going to triage it and then, as you say, all the specialists don't need to be in a command center. They can be anywhere. But they, they need, there needs to be a protocol for managing this. And this is the exact reason why we, in our recent article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Rahul Sharma and myself, we developed this concept of the medical virtualist. Mm -hmm. Because we think this is going to take a unique specialist 
that might be differentiated, you know, by different disciplines. But these people are going to have to be taught how to function in an environment where there are almost never, and perhaps never, in a room with a patient, but being called upon to evaluate through technology situations with multiple different inputs. A critical success factor for a medical virtualist is the context of his or her practice. Um, the same way as anything that we've discussed today depends on the context. And this is sometimes missed by healthcare organizations, physician organizations, countries. They're tempted to be what I call me too. They see a technology and they feel they have to use it. And they miss the point that the technology itself is not going to solve the problem. They need to put it in the context of their particular environment, their particular demography, their particular economics. They say, you know, this happens to be, you know, my personal interest, so uh, I'm taking the liberty of making the point. That That's a brilliant the, point. Actually, uh, I see you, you got into very good subjects. One is, a uh, medical virtualist and second if you are creating that environment of medical virtualists what are the key success factors Michael uh, we'll take a short break and in our last segment uh, we'll discuss about what is the medical virtualist how it's going to change the healthcare delivery and what are the key success factors we'll continue after a short break America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having very fascinating discussions uh, with Dr. Michael, Senior Vice President, Chief Clinical Integration and Network Development Officer at New York Presbyterian. And uh, we are enjoying the insights through a great discussion, Michael, on how digital age is transforming the way uh, we will be managing our health in future. It's not only individuals, it's the communities and the societies and what's the global impact of it. Uh, Michael, we talked about uh, medical virtualists. Good learning for me on that. 
and also what the key success factors are. Uh, we will continue with that and we will touch base on some of the top issues and trends and how uh, the, 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 in the new age the digital technology is helping us. Thank you. Uh, I think as far as the medical virtualist is concerned, we've gone beyond the point where anyone who feels like it can be effective uh, in evaluating a patient through tele-video tele uh, communication. We think that we need to create standards and a consensus on training so that we can train different types of health workers in the skills that they need when they are doing virtual health care. Uh, if one can imagine uh, speaking to a patient, um, you know, on a monitor or on a phone, and the patient has got uh, heart disease, then it's required by the physician to look at the patient, to look at the environment, to assess their condition, to do a virtual examination, uh, to, as we say in our article, have website manner as opposed to bedside manner, and to engage the patient and their family as part of their assessment. So this, in addition to the provider understanding the scope of care and what they are capable of doing safely is all part of the future of the medical virtualist who will need to be trained in the different components of history taking, evaluation, examination, uh, combining uh, input from laboratory data, past history, remote monitoring, and then understanding what the best modalities are to create the intervention. Does it require a new medication? Does it require a home visit? Does it require a trip to a hospital? Does it require continued follow-up remotely with the idea being that as much as possible, one tries to meet the needs of the patient where they are without making them commute. You know, we are in an era of consumerism, and cost and value are critically important to consumers. And the use of virtual health is part of the movement of optimizing cost and value to consumers. The technology itself is actually uh, being accelerated by the lifestyle use of these technologies, which is resulting in the blurring of lines between lifestyle commodities and healthcare. So people are becoming used to purchasing online, making reservations online, um, getting access to information online, um, why wouldn't the same um, be the principle for their interaction with their physician? And again, to make this even more dramatic, 
if one can evaluate one's cardiac function through an app on the phone which could be transmitted to your doctor, or if one can predict when and somebody with a diagnosis of epilepsy is going to have a seizure with a wearable device on your wrist, a lot of encounters could be obviated and the examples I gave are real life examples of technology that exists today. I think this is brilliant. Uh, the way I look at it uh, in, 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 in all the segments, uh, Michael, what you're given such a fascinating piece of information, uh, not only about keeping yourself healthy, but even impacting the whole society by not allowing people to get sick or early diagnosis. You, you, this technology of the medical virtualist or, or, or the model which you laid out, it probably addresses all the issues in France which are needed to address the issues like what you mentioned cost. So the, there is an impact in cost as you're using the technology and uh, the care delivery at remote locations where it's impossible for doctor to reach or the patient takes a lot of time to reach the nearest healthcare center. And you're bringing in a lot of innovation. You talked about taking a pill and then uh, it can send the signals back and also using the innovative technology to reach out to customers. As you said, wearables, when I say customer is patients. And also the operations, the, the virtual command rooms. You're bringing in experts from all over the place. You don't have to wait for them to visit you or get together. They can be virtually in the command room. And now the main important part, which is not to be ignored in delivering healthcare, is regulatory compliance. Now, when you're online, you're connected to technology, uh, you can always review it. It's available to you for review in future, and you can ensure and correct the systems and models to, for regulatory compliance. You can put some boundaries around it. So to me, it looks like uh, the medical virtualist, as you said, is a very powerful and effective tool, and it will have a, a long-lasting impact and in, an, in a sector where there is a lot of deficit uh, in terms of availability of healthcare providers uh, versus uh, the people who are in need. Uh, this could be uh, a short-term as well as a long-term solution. And uh, it's not only that it'll keep people healthy, uh, which is a good thing, which is a basic need for a human being to get health services, it will even impact, uh, uh, it will also impact the global economic scenario. If you look at the global businesses, the economies of countries, the global economy, the productivity with healthy people will go up. Now, where people are not able to access the healthcare, they may be able to get the best quality healthcare because now you have access using technology. So overall impact on the personal well-being as well as uh, the economies of countries and global economy is huge. That's my uh, takeaway from the, the fascinating and, and brilliant explanations and information you shared with us today, uh, Dr. Michael. So thank you, Doctor. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. Uh, I agree with you, and I think my summary would be: nothing will be the same in healthcare uh -huh. with this uh, the advances in technology. Fundamentally, um, um, most 
countries will have to provide more more healthcare with relatively less resources. They'll have to leverage technology, and this technology is going to blur the lines between lifestyle commodities and traditional healthcare. And we're going to have to train healthcare workers at every level level to optimize the use of resources through these technologies in different situations. And we'll have to focus on the necessary infrastructure, which might be simple or complex, depending on how much of the care continuum uh, a given location or given region or given country can support. And I think this kind of thinking facilitates uh, businesses and investors to contemplate new ideas with a much greater chance of success if they focus in on how the care continuum works in a, diff- a particular situation and don't just focus on a new technology uh, which is very exciting but has to be put in context for it to make a difference. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. This has been a very interesting discussion and I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. 